0: We return to our discussion with Reverend Rigby and Reverend Griffin regarding balancing personal responsibility with the apparent absence of social responsibility in our celebration of Dr. King and his legacy of critical accountability. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, Reverend Griffin, to speak to that a little bit that when you are preaching to your congregations, How do you frame the importance of personal responsibility? You cannot compromise it. We all need to be responsible and accountable. But in the absence of any type of social responsibility, namely this type of spending that we're talking about into the military and the fact that the wealthy never pay their share of taxes and all of that, yet when it comes to the budget, we can't spend any amount of money on child care and, and these important deals, particularly in times in which more and more people are slipping into very challenging economic conditions throughout the country. That, that was a question, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> how, how do you speak to your congregation about the absence of social responsibility versus always putting the responsibility on individuals to tighten their belts and, and that type of thing?
1: More so, I try to stay in the biblical text while I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. and I would look for a final scripture or context in the scripture where we pretty much see the same things that are happening now. Mm-hmm. Well, but on top of that, as a Christian, everything we do is involved with integrity, character, and morals. Right. I believe if we stick to integrity, character, and high moral standards, They'll be able to shift for help or a, a plus for the social majority. Our problem in America is not a political problem. Our problem in America is a moral problem. And if we all really check our hearts, and this is just what I preach, if we work on ourselves and build ourselves and everyone does it, then there should be some growth. There should be some, some coming together. We all know everyone's not going to be like that. It's just not going to happen. I don't press upon my crowd just to push and fight fight for social justice because I don't want to be um, a dictator in the pulpit. And I believe that, as I said earlier, everyone has a right to believe and vote and figure out for themselves what they want in leadership, what their politicians are going for, how is this going to shape our America. I don't want to ever be accused of, or feel like someone has to vote for someone simply by me coming over the pulpit. I really try to keep it biblical. I really try to keep it with integrity, with character, and with high moral standards.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. And Reverend Rigby, one of the points that Dr. King makes in the speech is going back to the motto of the saving the soul of America and the importance of the plight of African Americans, but also He was turning more and more towards the plight of all the disenfranchised of our country, and he also indicated once he got the Nobel Peace Prize, it was a commission to work harder than he'd ever worked before for, quote, the brotherhood of man, brotherhood and sisterhood, I'm sure he would say now, of man that that takes us beyond national allegiances. I think what Reverend Griffin said was really important, that the moral compass thing is always what was the driving force in Dr. King's way of thinking he just would go back all the time to right over wrong and the humility of the sanctity of all human life and not just americans and not just those of the wealthier class when you hear what he has to say about saving the soul of america it seems that we allow our government to get into all of these conflicts and these sanctions throughout the whole world that are just killing and maiming people as we speak, but we, we just don't know about it. So what would be your suggestion in order to carry forth how Dr. King in today's world with so much information control going on would point towards getting to that soul of America and changing it?
2: Well, I, I very much hesitate as a white person to try to say what you know Dr. King would say today uh, with... Um, <laughs> With Mike Huckabee uh, speaking in Arkansas f- um, for the uh, prayer breakfast for Martin Luther King, and he's using that kind of white recalibration of King's message, where it's about all just getting along. But I truly think if Dr. King were alive today, the environmental situation would also count. That just wasn't really an issue in his day. So I think it's it's both humanity, all of humanity. But if, if we don't make our peace with the web of life, it's not going to matter that to spend the money we do on the military, to realize we'll probably die as a result of that, the Pentagon is the most polluting institution on the face of the earth, and we'll probably more likely die from that than from the countries that we're being protected from. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a a, there's an incredible irony that I think Dr. King understood as, as well as any human being of his day, but I think it's even clearer now that, it's not just humanity, it's the web of life. And that we run the risk of of committing suicide by self-defense. It's like the dinosaurs. It's like they had all these impervious defenses and it killed them. The survival of the fittest means that survival of the most adaptive, not the most survival of the most powerful. So I, I think we're much more likely to die of our defenses than we are of a lot of the you know, fellow human beings. Mm-hmm. So I think that his... His insight, when you look back at that speech, is so prophetic, and I never read it without thinking of Isaiah, Jeremiah. But but that message of truth is in every religion, in every person, in every non-religion. Mm-hmm. It's like every authentic human being has realized that we do, what we do to others, we do to ourselves. So I, I think as clergy, so I, I just I feel like. For me, when I read Dr. King, I I, I see a a prophet that's there, and I think that we have to go further, than he was able to go. I mean, this is how long has it been. But I I think he definitely pointed the direction we have to go. But it's like um, it's everybody. But to do that, we have to get beyond capitalism, and that's the truth that nobody, you know, you can't even mention that.
0: You can't have
2: a profit based value system and not wind up dead ultimately if we do not value nature and humankind and animals and plants and the soil more than we value wall street we're not going to survive as a species
0: well that's that's exactly what he said he said when machines and computers and profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people the giant triplets of racism extreme materialism of course this wealth inequality stuff right and militarism yep are incapable of being conquered. He's basically, in our profit-driven system, Dr. King is saying racism, extreme materialism, and, and militarism are, are natural byproducts of that system. And that for us to go around trying to say, we need to end racism and we need to end extreme materialism without acknowledging that we need to restructure our priorities and, and put people over profits in a very deliberate way fashion. Reverend Griffin, your thoughts. Do you have thoughts on that? The priority of, people always say what, what, the, what the world needs to look like, but when it comes to actually restructuring what needs to be restructured in order to get us there, there's just no conversation about that. Until Dr. King brought it to everyone's attention. That's why he was so lambasted. This is an incredibly provocative mm-hmm. speech.
1: Right, definitely. He, he had a way with words and like I said, he he was uh, an eagle-eyed prophet. He can see years and years into the future simply by our mannerisms and the way we operated, and just the way America was coming through. <laughs> if we be honest, America, our leaders really don't stand on morals and integrity and character. They they just try to get deals done, mm-hmm. you know. And, and And, I mean, we're not in that position, but we would hope that those that we put in office to help make the change and set the laws and and the regulations, especially if we're talking about rewriting Mm -hmm. and redoing it, that's a a major task, a major task that's going to take a a lot of discipline, a lot of time, a lot of research, but more than that, a lot of honest men Mm -hmm. that can sit money to the side and egos to the side and say, this is this is what's right for humankind.
0: I, I really like what you said about the voting right. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of voting. I, I think, to be honest, I just wanted to say that. But your point really makes me think uh, twice about a, a couple of things. When you mentioned just the dignity of voting. It reestablishes the sanctity and that no one's votes more than another person's vote, right? So that means none of us are more important than anyone else. So in that sense, voting rights is the backbone, you know, of a democracy. I I get all that. It's just that for things to change through the voting booth, nothing is going to change, I don't believe, until... The, the things that Dr. King talked about, namely restructuring this extreme materialism that has been translated into this incredible wealth inequality that gives people disproportionately so much more power than one person, one vote. Yes,
1: most definitely. I agree.
0: Reverend, from from your perspective of, and this is just an open question to to, to both of you, just how Dr. King, he gets so passionate about the word of God, if you understand the word of God, then you automatically understand the sanctity of every life in this world. So therefore, these types of policies that we're talking about become critically, at least, have have no legs to stand on. And let me just elaborate on these policies I'm referring to, because in Dr. King's speech, he empathizes and he asks all Americans to empathize with the quote unquote, the enemy, the Vietnamese They must see America as strange liberators, he says, as he recounts the history of the diplomatic betrayals the United States led, particularly the betrayal of the Geneva Accords of 1954 and the support of President Diem and his incredible repression of anything resembling democracy in South Vietnam. So it's clear to these people in these countries that Our foreign policy is violating, but it's not clear to the American public because of the control of the narrative that describes us as liberators. And so I think when Dr. King says we were the greatest purveyor of violence in the world in 1967, certainly our foreign policy in Iraq, when you include the sanctions before the invasion of 2003 and the post-invasion casualties, which resulted in millions of deaths just like in Vietnam or in Libya, where we took African nation that had the highest human development index in the whole continent of Africa and turned it into a killing field to this day. And now slavery has re-emerged, according to CNN, as a result of our intervention. And as you look around the world of foreign policy interventions, whether it's Yemen in our us supporting Saudi Arabia in the carnage there, in our support for the foreign terrorists that made up the backbone of the Syrian resistance that we know now that as a result has prolonged a quote-unquote civil war that's taken over 250,000 lives. A civil war that would have been over a long time ago if it was not for the decisive position of U.S. foreign policy that supported reactionary forces. And to this day, we illegally occupy eastern Syria, and control their oil fields while sanctioning their people to near starvation? Indeed, to the Syrians, to the Libyans, indeed, as Dr. King said, we must be seen as strange liberators with such a resume as that. Yet we're convinced as we speak today that Russia is the aggressor in the Ukraine rather than looking at our own deeds in the Ukraine that promoted the coup that started this whole mess. And somehow, all of these U.S. foreign policy outcomes that we just shared are absent from any type of news coverage by our mainstream press. And instead, we are inundated with the narrative that Russia is the aggressor. Yet, who have they invaded over the same period of time? And while Russia has maybe two or three military bases outside of the former Soviet Union, the United States has some seven to 800 military foreign bases yet somehow we are convinced that Russia is the aggressor. It's crazy. Indeed, we are strange liberators. And so I think it's those policies that are continuing and have actually accelerated that Dr. King would be so concerned about, even more so than he was back in 1967. So when you talk about, and you both have mentioned it actually, about the the moral center that we've lost or that we need to get to as individuals, but then somehow need to get our government and the whole country accountable to, that to me, I mean, he he says it throughout the speech about the ecumenical versus the sectional, these basic principles that, that run through all religions that define our humanity and that we must recommit to to save the soul of America and to revisit and reprioritize these basic principles. What is he speaking to exactly in your thoughts?
2: Well, I'll, I'll jump in and then let Reverend Grissom uh, finish the thought. I think that Gandhi was called a Mahatma, a great soul. And Dr. King was very influenced by Gandhi. I think he started off as a very typical you know, American clergy but I think he grew into to something that resembles that Mahatma more. I think that people tend to think that they were born in the one-right country and the one-right religion, and I don't think that's really what Jesus was talking about. I think the Word, if you look at John, it says in the beginning was the Word, so that's before the Bible. It's, it's the principle of reality that's being talked about but to me, and, and I'm considered a heretic by many, so um, feel free to. Uh, take a different viewpoint on it, but to me, if it's truth, then the way to get there is honesty, and is that's not dogma, that's not anyone's sect, and I think that religion that thinks that it's the only right way is always going to tear the world apart. I think Dr. King, he nominated Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist, for the Nobel Peace Prize because this was a man in Vietnam lived the same truth that Jesus talked about. So. If Jesus can do it, if Buddha can do it, then anyone who loves and commits themselves to justice is doing what Jesus talked about. I mean, this is my feeling. So I think, I think that Jesus was bigger than Christianity. I think Dr. King was bigger than Christianity. You know, I think that when Jesus was talking, he was talking as all of life and all of reality of truth. So, I mean, to me, everybody wants to think they can copyright truth. And I, you know, I'm Christian, I love being Christian, but I also don't think that God only talks to us. And I also think atheists have have a, a truth they're bringing to the table. I think humanists are. I think Buddhists and Jewish people and Muslim people. It's like the world is not going to work if we don't get bigger than our countries and our sect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's my feeling. And I think that's what Dr. King was calling us to towards the end.
0: Dr. What
2: do you think, yeah. Reverend Grisham? Yeah. Definitely, um,
1: every word that Dr. King spoke was a word of truth and uh, words of honesty, whether for the good or for the bad. He, he was very, very honest. And he had a way with elaborating through the word. It was just making, should, should have made America um, feel, feel very, very stupid sometimes. You know, he just had a way of really punching our government in the face with the the reality and the facts that we were facing mm-hmm. in them times, but he said it so illustriously, and I thought about that, and, and him being a a, a Christian, and, and I respect your viewpoint of saying that he may be larger in Christianity. In a certain context, he is, just because of the man that he is. But, I mean, isn't that what made Jesus who he was? Because he was just different. And, and he had this divine draw. He had a, a messianic magnitude that just drew people to him. And I believe that Dr. King carries that same spirit, especially in the time and the work that he had to do. His truth and his honesty created his speeches to become living words. And that's exactly what the Bible is. It's truth and honesty because the Bible says that God's word cannot return unto him void. That's living word, and because it can't return into the void once we step out on it and act on it and manifest, then those words become living actions in our lives. So if we really take these words and to heart and really see the heart that uh, Dr. King had um, for the Bible and, and for Gandhi and, and just how he, he just wanted to bring everyone together mm-hmm. that was no big eyes and little use, he didn't care. All of us are humans, and that was his major thing. He was a Christian. He's my mentor. Um, I have a picture of him in my office uh, shooting pool. Actually, he was a very good at Very down to earth guy, but he had a heart for everyone. No matter how they slandered him, his his morals and his integrity and his character wouldn't allow him to step out the rim of being the man that had to lead this mo- movement.
0: And, and I think that's my sentiments uh are are a lot along those lines to me what was the most amazing thing about him was his humility and that you know whatever truth is that you discover it, it it changes as you discover new truths and to be unafraid to follow that path wherever it takes you is what dr king did and and he evolved so much in his critique of what needs to happen in order to get the deliverance of a comfortable life to all of God's people, the whole world population. I think that's what took him to Vietnam. I think that's what took him to the people's poverty and and connecting all those dots and and seeing that they were all part of the same fabric. We just have a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to ask you to, to speak both in closing remarks to his comment in this speech where he says, Our only hope today lies in our ability to recapture the revolutionary spirit And go out into a sometimes hostile world declaring eternal hostility to poverty, eternal hostility to racism, and eternal hostility to militarism. And so uh, it seems since he's passed, these things have been accelerated rather than de-accelerated. And I'm just asking you all to comment on on how we can actualize his, his, uh, his desire and vision there.
2: I'll speak first and then Reverend Grissom has the last word. I think that the furthest misunderstanding you can have from Dr. King is that he wanted just everybody to get along by not talking about the problems of the world. Right. You cannot have peace without justice. And that's like 101. His method, Satyagraha, that he took from Mahatma Gandhi, was called the truth struggle or the soul force. And it's not easy. As he began a, the speech at Riverside, he talked about how difficult it was to speak out against the Vietnam War and how much it would cost him. And he was right. He was attacked from all over the place. New York Times, I think it was Life Magazine, and he was he was universally vilified for not just being a stereotype. But I think love has to love enough to be to, to willing to make people angry at it that simply compromise uh, compromise between the powerful is not going to save the world. We have to find the principles of unity, which are justice and love and compassion. So uh, I think Dr. King, to me, is, is the American prophet. Mm-hmm. And to realize that it's not comfortable, but this is, this is how you find peace. Mm-hmm. It's like it has to be truth, it has to be justice, it has to be compassion. So I, I think every year I'm grateful for the conversation we have, Pedro, uh, and I'm grateful to Reverend Grissom for sharing it. So take us home, Reverend Grissom. Thank you so much
1: uh, for having me again, Mr. Pedro, and, and also you, Reverend um, Ricky. I'm I'm really excited and elated and just honored just to hear, uh, as you guys said, a white man talk about this great black man. <laughs> so yep. uh, we're grateful for that. but. Let's think about what you said. When it comes to poverty and racism, mm-hmm. these are major tools that our government is using. That our upper epsilon, our one percent, they're using that for a power. And I just believe that if everyone in leadership and that has authority in the United States was not so hell bent on. Getting all the power, mm. having all of the so-so, really listening and, and really confiding with each other. We really don't get stuff done in government because they're fighting. Everyone wants to do their deal, wants to do their deal. But have, isn't it funny that the one thing that they don't argue about is where poverty is going to be? Mm-hmm. And, and not fixing those problems? We see it in our inner cities all across America. It's been 20 years now. Those inner cities are, are still the same way. And that's a major problem for different cultures and those that stay in that area. Poverty and racism must be spoken out on, but also with poverty there comes discipline and responsibility in our own. We have the right to pursue this happiness doesn't mean we may get it. We may not, but we control our actions. We control how far we can go. So mm. if we do get a government that can change and shift some stuff, I believe our country will be way better. If every man took it upon himself to make himself best, he could be providing for his family, structurally sound. And I, I believe our economy and, and, mm. and things will change and with like those two things our government taking us seriously, taking people seriously, and when we get the opportunity, we don't waste it.
0: Very good. Well, we're going to need to end it there. We are out of time. I want to thank Reverend Lloyd Griffin from Wharton, Texas. Yes, sir, Wharton, Texas. (laughs) Okay, well, me and Reverend Rigby will have to come down there and and see if you really do know how to make barbecue one of these days. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and, and, and Reverend Jim Rigby, it's always a great, Great pleasure to have you, not just on the show, but somebody to be able to visit with off air. We are out of time. Thank you so much again. That's Reverend Jim Rigby in St. Andrews uh, Presbyterian right here in Austin, Texas, and Reverend Lloyd Griffin from uh, Wharton, Texas, with our discussion on Dr. Martin Luther King and some of the themes of his provocative Beyond Vietnam speech of April the 4th, 1967. We'll see you next week coming up next do not go anywhere unless you're not on koop.org right now switch on over to the internet if you're on the fm dial to hear emo diaries with co-op's very own stephanie at the disco i can't wait and we go out as we do every week with land of naivety